Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. This episode, we talk about some recent far-flung travels. I think we'll call it far-flung travels. I think my trip was October, Tom. Yours was November. Just a little bit after yours. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were ships passing in the night, sometimes figuratively, sometimes literally. Mm -hmm. So how are you? How did that trip go? And uh, do you want to go in time order or you wanna, do you want to dive in on yours? If you want, I can talk about mine. Let's talk through your trip. This was another cruise, right? It was. This is, this is your 10th cruise of the year? Uh, <laughs> I wish. This might only be my like fifth, I think. Fifth cruise? Fourth cruise? I'm, I'm not even I'm trying to even remember now. That's actually a good question. Which, which cruise is this? I think this is the fourth cruise of the, of, the, of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Only the fourth. Wow. I know. That's uh, how, how the mighty have fallen. Times change. Times change. Folks, if you thought that there was a problem with the economy, this is, this is your sign. This is your leading indicator. <laughs> leading indicator. Hmm. So I think I think we had sort of hinted at this trip on a on a previous episode where we talked about booking flights to Australia and 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 sort of how you almost had that perfect itinerary. Mm-hmm. Were yeah, you able the, to get it? Almost this entire trip was booked entirely over again. Like it was never. I think I've had at least three or four iterations of of the flights. And yeah, in a previous episode, we talked about doing some creative routing through Vietnam. Well. That gets a little hard when one of the airlines you plan on flying goes bankrupt or <laughs> stops flying internationally. <laughs> it puts a little puts a little damper in, in your plans. And of course, the irony is is it's bamboo. Usually, usually once you have bamboo, you can't get rid of it. But apparently, that doesn't work in airlines. It was like a weed, apparently, but not not when it comes to airplane routes, I guess. And they had some really interesting stuff. They were flying seven eight sevens to what London and 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 I think some other places in Europe, and then down to Australia. So. Yep. They were a pretty attractive airline. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out. Yeah, it's one of the partners that seemed to have pretty good availability if you if you knew where to look for it for their kind of their somewhat limited number of international routes and now they don't have any. But the writing was on the wall. You know, fortunately it didn't happen like as a complete surprise. I mean, they there were some articles about them not being able to pay their pilots. And I was like, okay, I guess I should probably not count on this flight happening. So I was like, let me go look at some alternatives and one of the alternatives that I actually found was an American Airlines award flying direct uh, from LA on uh, a, an American Airlines 777 in first class, which not the most aspirational product, but you know, definitely one that I haven't flown in a number of years. And I was kind of excited for it. And, and I think I mentioned earlier, I was really excited for it, or I wasn't that excited for it until for some reason I couldn't book it anymore. And I got really sad. And I realized, oh, well, I actually, it kind of aired out when booking and, and then the, the availability went away. But actually, what it actually ended up doing was saving it as a saved itinerary that I could just call in and, and actually book. So that's what I ended up booking. Oh, uh, you, you can't beat that. That A321T, of all the things that I've flown, the A321T is one of those few things that I just haven't been able to fly. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, get I, on that, my, my friend. They're not, they're not that long for this world, I don't think. I don't think they are. So the A321T going from JFK, you got uh, lounge access. They, they did. They have those new lounges. I haven't been there yet. It's the Chelsea and the, what's the other one? Greenwich, I think. Greenwich. And, I think and, there's and like we, three flavors. It's like Chelsea, Greenwich, and Soho. You know, It's like those neighborhoods that exist both in the New York area and the uh, London area. 
Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. And not having been to New York in a while, is the Chelsea the the best one? Is that the the first class one? Yes. Yes, that's the one that's only available to first class passengers. And I forget who else has access. I don't think Executive Platinum have access to Chelsea. I think they have access to Greenwich, I think. And then I think you have to actually be flying first class for, for Chelsea. So then that was a pretty exclusive experience. How was that? You know, as I've I wrote some read some other reviews about it before going in, so I did have some expectations, and they were definitely met. But you know, I under, I understand why some people were like, go get the meal in Chelsea, and then go hang out in Greenwich or one of the other lounges because it's kind of a dungeon. It's dark and kind of you know, there's not really there's no views of anything, no outside windows. I was spent actually a lot of time in there because you know I had 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 the sit down kind of lunch in there, and I was literally the only one in the lounge, or maybe there was one other person for about two hours, which was. Very luxurious. I mean, that's kind of fun having the lounge pretty much to yourself, but I didn't really make that much use of it. I just had my meal, did some work on my laptop. That's about it. So you effectively had the private room experience in JFK. That would be a pretty way, a good way of summing it up. Yeah. And and I would kind of echo, you know, it's it's nice to be in there. It's nice for the exclusivity. It's nice to be in the most populated lounge at JFK. However, the atmosphere there is not great. And, you know, I had the food as well. I thought it was all right, but I mean, I got to finally try a, a Polaris lounge the other day. I, I felt our meal in the Polaris was a little bit superior to the one that I had in Chelsea. That says a lot considering one is pegged as a business class lounge and mm-hmm. Chelsea is pegged as a first class lounge. I would have probably compared or or expected to be able to compare Chelsea to, for example, the Concord room. And that and that's what it replaces, right? Because you know when, when the BA left Terminal 8, or sorry, Terminal 7 to poor Terminal 8, this is now the replacement, right? The, the joint... B-A-A-A lounge. Again, it's definitely serviceable. And I don't remember the Concord room at JFK being all that great either, to be completely honest. So I would say this is probably a pretty good replacement for that. And obviously all brand new finishes and furnishings are all, all very nice. No, no problem with the service or the staff. Otherwise, the environment is just, unfortunately, the, 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 the space at the terminal they chose was the one that has no views of anything. So it's, it's, it's a little bit dreary. That's one area where I think a lot of lounges kind of miss the mark. And British Airways is really good at missing that mark. (laughs) Well, you think about the Philly Lounge, it's a beautiful lounge, but it's interior. At least Mm -hmm. they have some windows so you can sort of see out into the terminal. You think about the one in uh, Boston. Oh, in Austin. Okay. I I was going to say in Boston, they have- It's in the basement, right? Yeah, it's a basement. And then, gosh, I mean, those lounges in T5 are, are, I think, very nice with nice views and such, but so very crowded. Mm-hmm. But this isn't a, this isn't a podcast about British Airways is uh, lounges and <laughs> I guess and, it's and, not. And, and, and it's easy to go on. It's easy to go on tangents when we're talking about this stuff, but yeah, no, it was, it was interesting, but you know, the most interesting part about this whole trip, however, was getting a call from American airlines about an hour before heading for the, to the airport. So that was that kind of interesting. Let me tell you about that. Does that sort of mean that your your heart was in your throat? You're sort of wondering, is my flight actually going to be flying? And you know, do you yeah. have a seat? My blood pressure went up a little bit, or at least my heart rate, you know, for a minute because I said, American Airlines, why are they calling me on my cell phone? You know, <laughs> so, so close to my. Flight. Well, and and it turns out, you know, not when they call you, it's not always bad news. So the, the funny thing was, they called me and they were like, Mister Kim, could you do us a favor? Usually, when they they start off that way. It's, it's usually a positive thing. So in this case, what they said was, well, guess what happened? They overbooked first on, on American. American's LA to Sydney flight was overbooked in first for, for uh, some operational reason. I, 
I did, they didn't give me the details, which why would they? But I almost wonder if it had something to do with what was going on with the new pilots. What is it concession that they made to, to have pilots be able to fly, uh, sit in first class when they're This is exactly what I was thinking. I was exactly thinking, yeah, they probably have a pilot on board that they've got a provision of first class seat. So so, so now you're impacted. Yes. So they asked me if I could leave uh, an hour earlier from JFK and have a slightly earlier flight from LAX. And and it turns out on Qantas. I'm like, hmm, Qantas first, American first. What do I do? (laughs) My gosh. What a hard choice. What a hard choice. Of course, I, I, I agreed. And, and for my trouble, they gave me an extra $500 flight credit. Um, that doesn't suck. So Wow. Okay. So, so not only did they upgrade you, yes, but they gave you, they gave you some money to be, to be super flexible. Correct. The only downside was obviously my plans for LAX lounge hopping uh, were somewhat dashed because I didn't have a whole long layover at LAX. I was planning on trying to actually visit the, the Sky Club at LAX, which I have yet to visit while I was on my long layover, but uh, it was going to be a much more curtailed layover with this. I still made it to the first class lounge. It was great. Had my salt and pepper squid, enjoyed the, the first class lounge, which also doesn't have a view in LAX. Another, another, another first class lounge with no view of anything. That's interesting because the Star Alliance lounge there does. They even have like a little open the air. terrace, right? Yeah, that terrace. Yeah. No, no. That, they, the windows look out at the terminal, essentially. At the, the I guess the nice thing about the Qantas First Lounge is it is extremely close to the connector bridge to the rest of the AA gate. So it's it's it's, it's the least walk of all the T-bit lounges that you have to tra- when you transit from a domestic flight. That's helpful. Talking about things that I don't do very often, I've only flown at a Tom Bradley International Terminal, I want to say twice. Wow. Might have only been once. No wonder you never fly the A321T. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's the double connect thing. Yes. Normally, yes. I'll I'll reposition for for flights overseas, but to to reposition the fly via JFK, we did that once JFK, once to Boston, and both of them just felt so inconvenient. It was. I mean, it don't get me wrong. So this was a double connect for me too. So you know, I actually the night before flew up to JFK, overnighted at the courtyard over there at JFK. Oh no, it was residence in actually, and it's actually pretty nice. But you're right. It does make it. But you know, in this case, it was kind of like this was going to be my ode to first class on American, which you know is, is unfortunately not long for this world. They're going to probably get rid of both of these cabins in the next year or two, both on the A321T and the Triple Seven. And I guess I didn't get to fly the Triple Seven. Is it really in the year that they're getting rid of them? I didn't. I, I, I didn't realize that they that they were that short for this world. I have a feeling it's probably later part of 2025, but I'd probably have to go take a quick search and look at it. But I, uh, how about this? I, I doubt you're going to be able to get get these things in 2026, I would think. I think that's probably for sure when, when you're not going to see much of this anymore. Yeah. So I I, I need to get after that. I got to get my uh, Paris Hilton uh, A321T uh, first class seat. Yep. Yeah, it's, it is a nice seat. I mean, you know, it's especially it's, it's, gonna, it's hard to beat that across the transcontinental and you know, there's so few people on the plane, and the plane only seats like what 100 something people, with all the, pre- the premium heaviness of the flights, like 120 or something. Happened to sit behind Christopher Lloyd of Back to the Future. Fame. Great Scott! Great Scott! So definitely gr- great for I guess celebrity watching because I would imagine it's very highly frequented by the the New York LA crowd that commute back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was perfectly nice, and the the flight attendants were really great. You know, it was this was actually a Halloween night that I flew the Transcon flight, and 
brought them some chocolates and they and they actually were really really friendly and talkative and were excited about the the fair trade chocolate that I brought them. <laughs> so the fair trade. I just happened I just happened to buy this this one package of of chocolates which strangely enough they were showcasing on like John Oliver like last week tonight the the day like the week before and the flight attendants were hey was this a chocolate that they and it was it was the chocolate bar that they happened to like showcase on this last week tonight HBO show. And it just happened to be what I bought at Target to have their gifts for people for flight crews on this trip. Anyway, small, sm- another another tangent. You are awfully trendy. Accidentally trendy, apparently. Accidentally trendy sometimes. I, I had no intention of doing it. I just, oh, that looks kind of pretty. I'll, I'll buy that chocolate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, a happy accident. And it sounds like yes. a bunch of happy accidents. You got through your first class lounge. Mm-hmm. Made and- it onto the A380 to Sydney all the way. And honestly, you know, it's funny. We say it's an upgrade. We say that Qantas First is going to be amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's it's a good product. But you forget there's 14 seats in on an A380 in first class. Do you believe it? I do. I mean, having flown it a couple of times, it is. it, it feels like a full cabin. But it does. the interesting thing, though, about it is, is it's what, a, a 111 configuration. So mm-hmm. you get into that, what, AC and just like our favorite in Virgin Atlantic, the middle seat, I think, looks toward the right, toward the K seats. Now, obviously, there's a lot of privacy and you're not staring at people. But if you're traveling with a a partner, you want to be in that middle seat and then the K seat is my recollection. Even with this kind of late booking, I did manage to get a window seat, which is nice. I'm not sure if I would pick that seat again. It was the first row. And the problem is there's a lot of activity there especially because one of the cabinets that holds all the bedding, all like the mattress pads and everything was like right close to my seat. So the, there was a lot of rustling of, of mattress pads during the early part of the flight. And then toward the end of the flight, the flight attendants were, were busily trying to stuff the mattress pads back into that cabinet. And that's exactly why I don't like the first row on the Lufthansa 787 or 7478 Intercontinental, because they have those cabinets right in the nose. And it's mm-hmm. the same exact experience. They're stuffing things in. I mean, that, that cabinet, it's only used two times through the, through the flight, but it's really disruptive when they are using it. So tell us about the experience, right? So obviously, lots of seats in the cabin, but yes. was this the upgraded? I think they're doing, doing a refresh. I don't know how much they've, they've rolled out, if any. This is, I think, the second time I've flown A380 a long-haul first class on, on Qantas. And I do remember it does seem like a refresh of what I had sat in before. I think gone are the lamb's wool or lambskin mattress pads. Oh my gosh, that was the most comfortable bed in the sky. Yeah, the mattress pads still exist though, and they're they're I think they're just foam now instead of filled with. I mean, I didn't open it up and see what was inside, but I didn't. It didn't feel like the old wool kind of mattress pads that were part of the service previously. The seat overall is pretty similar to to what I remember it from last time, but I mean, I think the screen was a little bit bigger, maybe and. Maybe some of the other finishes have been update, updated a little bit, but not 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 terribly. Yeah, when we flew that before the pandemic, it felt tired. You could mm-hmm. see, you know, the leather was starting to get a little bit worn. It was just a wonderful seat, just not scuffed up, not maintained bit. as well as you'd expect. Which is which, which is funny because if you go back to to our first episode when we were talking about the Japan Airlines flight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fact that those aircraft probably at that time were older than the um, than the A380s, and Japan Airlines just just maintains. I mean, it literally could have you know rolled out of the factory the day before we flew. 
Yeah, they they definitely are doing their right the right job when it comes to like upkeep on the the various finishes in the cabin. This one I didn't notice anything overly used or scoffed or in disrepair, so it felt like it, it had been refreshed at, at some point in in the recent past. I mean, it's just a solid first class product. I had really good sleep, you know, fourteen fifteen hour flight, and 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 I definitely got eight hours plus of sleep on this plane, which is unusual. But you know, obviously, there it definitely had the amount of airtime to be able to accommodate that. But you know, it also helps that there are air vents that didn't keep the cabin super hot, and you know, the bedding <laughs> the is small, excellent. The small things that we cherish, air vents. You know, it's funny. It's, it makes a huge difference. You know, I think having that. It that's absolutely. Why I travel with a fan because you know it's very un, unusual many times to have an air vent in a premium class seat at these days. But you know, otherwise it, it was. You know, what I realized about Qantas first is part of the allure is just despite them having so many seats in, on an A three eighty, just the impossibility of the the unicornness of of the product. You know, in, first, in terms of getting it as an award seat, right? That's kind of the allure more than anything else. You know, it's it's the exclusivity again of being able to 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 get that for miles and points. It's so true. I mean, Australia is hard enough, perhaps not in the last two months, as we've seen so much mm-hmm. space getting released. Other mm-hmm. than the past two months, Australia alone is a hard award to find. And really, Qantas is probably the best possible award or best possible first class seat that you can get to Australia in. Without going crazy, like going through yes. Dubai or Etihad. Or, going through or, some or, other far-flung hubs. Yeah. And it's funny because Sydney probably gets a whole lot of really great products, right? So they get the Emirates A380. They get the Qatar A380. I think they get the Etihad A380, or at least they used to. I know I've flown it a couple mm-hmm. of times. And then obviously well, they have Qantas. There as well. And they're getting flagship first from American. United's kind of, you know, United. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> they used to get a 747. I, I, I flew that a couple of times to Sydney. Older seat, but it did have first class. Not that I was in it. I was in business class or and one time actually in economy. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the old days when you had the projector IFE to just put that into perspective. <laughs> yep. yep. But yeah, so, so was there any, uh, anything special about the catering? Any, any, any notable beverages? They used to serve the the nice Tattinger, uh, I think it was uh, Combs. I, I probably don't pronounce it right. I could probably go look at, if if you like. I can go go find the menu and figure out what. The, I actually didn't t- partake in any um, alcoholic beverages. I mean, I was it was kind of a nighttime flight, and you know, I'm kind of a lightweight anyway when it comes to drinking. So, decided to not partake in very much beverage wise. I think they did have a signature beverage, and I just forgot to order it. I think I just had my my usual Diet Coke, so so can't speak to that much. Catering was decent. I uh, was taking a look at my photos before this. Not super memorable because I'm I don't really have anything to say about it really, other than it was it was decent. Of course, p- part of the problem is I think I was not terribly hungry. I was uh, had a meal at the uh, Qantas First Lounge before. So one of the downsides with having such a quality lounge product is. Sometimes it, it takes away from any in-flight experience because you're enjoying what they have to offer on, you know, on land. But I think the ground experience is always going to be superior, right? I, I think the best possible made-in-the-air meal is, is going to be inferior to, to the ground. And so if you can get a really nice meal prior to your flight, I think, I think the overall experience is going to just be better and takes a little bit of that expectation off the table. I'm not saying that's always going to be the case with all carriers. I feel like some carriers just really hit above their, their weight class when it comes to catering in the air, 
especially compared to the lounge. I, I, you know, I think go, going back to our first episode again, you know, Japan Airlines is another one of those where honestly, the lounge food, pretty mediocre, you know, in the first class lounge, but what they cater in the air so much better. And mainly that's just because again, they, they can, I guess they just invest in that catering program in the air and not on the ground. Yeah. Using that Japan Airlines, I could totally get there. I guess in my head, I was thinking more like your Lufthansa first class type experience. Right. Oh, that's a your, good point. Your, your Etihad or your, um, or your Qatar or your uh, Emirates. I mean, But they don't you know, serve uh, caviar in the lounge. No, you don't get the caviar, but you get a nice Wagyu beef burger or a nice thick cut of meat. Again, in my view, the lounge sort of takes the edge off, right? You're going to have a nice relaxing experience that sort of sets the table, so to speak, for, for what's to come. But anyway, so nothing terribly memorable on, the, uh, on, on, that, on that flight. What did you do in Sydney before the cruise? I had some wonderful meals. I stayed at the uh, Shangri-La Hotel, which is, uh, used one of my MX FHR nights prior to, the, to my cruise. And then um, was there with my friends. Uh, one of them had uh, some uh, college friends that lived in the area still. And we had a, a lovely dinner with a wonderful view of, of Sydney Harbor uh, in, in kind of the old customs house, a nice, a nice little seafood dinner and, and uh, some drinks afterward at a very fancy bar. That, that was pretty much uh, the majority. That's pretty much all I had time for, really, quite honestly. And uh, other than a, a quick uh, walk around the Botanic Gardens and then kind of the, the harbor area, that's about it. Okay, and so, it was time for the cruise. And, and the cruise went from Circular Quay? It did from the overseas terminal building, which is right there. It's like, you know, kitty corner away from the, to the Park Hyatt, you know, right there uh, in front of uh, some of the restaurants in the rocks. I think we've walked through that building before that overseas terminal building uh, on, a, on a previous trip. Yeah, we were there for uh, Vivid, uh, what uh, I think we talked about it on uh, episode eight mm-hmm. with Jeff and Joey, and, and they actually had an American Express lounge, pop up yep. lounge there. Nice to have gotten in there. I'd imagine that it's probably not nearly as nice when there's not a pop-up lounge, but still no. a nice experience to be getting onto. You said the ovation of the seas. Is that a quantum class? Yeah, quantum class ship from from Royal Caribbean. Yeah, the embarkation process was really good. They they knew what they were doing. It was pretty smooth. I got on the ship really quick after getting there. And we strategically, I think, got there probably closer to one, one-ish, I think. And doing so meant that you know when, when we got on board, our rooms were ready, which was great. So we just kind of put all our our stuff and start unpacking immediately, and and didn't have to wait around uh, milling around places to to wait for our rooms to be ready. Yeah, and that, and that was that ended up started off a really nice cruise. Again, can't really speak highly enough about cruising from Sydney. Is is the views? Or if you've got a balcony cabin, or if you go up a topside to some of the decks, the the public decks. The best part is obviously the wonderful views of the harbor. I mean, almost better than what you'd have on almost any hotel because. Many of the hotels are not even as tall as the the cruise ship. I mean, definitely the Park Hyatt is, and it's only you know four stories, five stories tall. And then cruise ship, you know, you got up to like you know deck fourteen, deck fifteen, get some get some really nice views of the Sydney Harbor Bridge and the Opera House, and then of course the sailaway is is, is pretty pretty spectacular too. Oh yeah, that's got to probably be one of the most epic sailaways, probably on par with New York or or, or maybe even better. Yep, yep, definitely up there in terms of um, sailaway experiences. So not to be missed. As far as the cruise itself, pretty routine. I mean, not not too much to speak of. Royal Caribbean wise, very very by the book. The ports were okay. The one I took, we did um, a New Caledonia and uh, Mystery Island, Vanuatu were the only two ports. So this is a very sea day, heavy itinerary, and the ports were nice. I mean, I, I like New Caledonia. We had some excellent baked goods. I mean, New Caledonia, for those of you who don't know, is a French overseas protectorate, 
and you know, so all those citizens, they're all citizens of, of, of France there. They do have their own currency though. And we went to a couple of, uh, you know, I still need to figure out what the difference between a boulangerie and a patisserie versus a vionesserie is because they had all of those. Uh, and we visited uh, at least two of them, two of the three. And I still don't know what the difference is. <laughs> but <laughs> you could, the, the, the French influence is very high in the island. And that's a good thing, at least when it comes to, you know, going out for lunch and buying, you know, a baguette or having a, a pastry or, or sandwich or something like that. They're all very, they were all very good. So other than the food, what else was there to see in New, New Caledonia? Well, we did a quick tour of the island. You know, we were only there for a few hours, which is the unfortunate thing, obviously, with cruises. You're only there for, you know, you dock in the morning and then, and then you, you're leaving usually in the, in the early afternoon, late afternoon time frame. In this case, we got to see most of the island. The weather was not quite as cooperative on this cruise. The, the, the weather in Sydney was fine. It's just on, the, on some of the port days, there was a little bit of rain and a little gloomy, uh, some, some overcastness. But the island itself, again, very beautiful, reminded me a lot of Hawaii, like with a French flair, I guess, is, is probably the best way that I would describe it. Definitely more Oahu than, than Kona in terms of it, it there, there are a lot of quite a few people that live in New Caledonia. It's, it's, it's fairly well populated and it's definitely got some urban pieces too, which is nice because you can, you know, experience some of that too. You know, you can get some of uh, a nice restaurant and some other nice things there that you might not have in, if it were more rural. Vanuatu, on the other hand, very different than, than um, New Caledonia. I think the island we visited, it's kind of like a island they set up just for cruise ships. It's really not anybody who lives on that island. It's a, just a landing strip there, really, and some lovely beaches. And we did, we did get some nice beach time there. Although, again, the weather was a little overcast, a little chillier than I think some people would have preferred. The water was definitely, temperature was a, a little bit colder than, than ideal, but we still had, had some good beach time there and even managed to get, a, even though it was overcast, we managed to get a slight sunburn. So you effectively flew greater than halfway around the world for a cruise that had one meaningful island and then one kind of cruise island and a bunch of yes. seats. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, 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 would I, would I recommend it for people? I might pick a different itinerary if, if you were expecting to see more of Australia or the South Pacific, there's probably some more port intensive itineraries probably the seven night cruise that just visits Vanuatu and New Caledonia. Cause I would say as far as the quality of the ports and things like that, you could probably do better with some other itineraries in other parts of the world. That being said, again, you know, cruising out of Sydney itself is, is, is pretty spectacular. Uh, so that's, that adds into the equation and the cruise itself was very nice. You know, everything, the usual Royal Caribbean stuff they did, they were pretty good with, with all the uh, and entertainment, the, the, the dining, the only, slight uh, disappointment is as with it, it's looking more more and more frequently no lobster night they did not serve any lobster for for complimentary in the in the uh, in the dining room and that's one of the things that used to be like the big deal i mean i guess that's you know the gamers the the, the gamers got gamed unfortunately you know how folks used to kind of get multiple well, lobster i was one of those stuff. people but i don't know if it was just the game i mean the gaming was a little bit maybe but I, I feel like it was just it's it's more cost cutting than than them reacting to anything the passengers were doing. You hear that that story about how how taking one olive out of the American Airlines salad saved American Airlines like I, I mean Millions it put them to dollars. profitability uh, supposedly right yeah I, yeah I can't even imagine how much Royal Caribbean is saving on the lobster tails. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a significant amount. And the thing is, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, they have billions of dollars of debt that they incurred over, you know, being shut down from the pandemic that they need to pay back. But my guess is they're on a pretty good track to do that. 
at this point. Oh yeah, everything's full. I mean, you said it yourself at the at the start. This was only your fourth cruise of the year, and I think like last year or the year before, you were like six or ten. You know, it's harder to get those free cruises or those you know heavily discounted cruises. You know, it's a it's a combination because you know as as you end up cruising more, I think you get more selective about what you want to cruise because you you know you've done a lot of the other things that you've already done, which you're not looking to repeat. And then on top of that, the cruise lines themselves have, have gotten less generous with some of the itineraries because they're selling out. So they don't have to subsidize the casino department if, if it's a complimentary cruise or whatever. They don't have to do that because they don't have this excess inventory to push. So now all the now a lot of what you get kind of offered complimentary oftentimes are these kind of shorter cruises, which, you know, because of the positioning costs or just, you know, the fact that I've done them in the past, you know, not not as interesting. Or the timing, right? Like, I mean, yeah, if it's a Monday to Friday cruise, what's the point? Exactly. Exactly. So let's wrap up your trip. You got off your cruise. Did you spend any time, any more time in Sydney? I and- spent an additional day uh, and was able to actually visit some of the Chinatown area that we talked with uh, Joe Chung about in a previous episode. Got to see, I think, uh, the the Maritan Suites or whatever that he had stayed. I got to see where that was. Had a nice lunch at Din Tai Fung. And also got to see at the brand new W Sydney, which is only open for uh, you know a month or so. And it's interesting because I was looking at some of the reviews of the W Sydney and people were just ripping it apart. And I could kind of tell that this was definitely a hotel that is still getting its legs underneath it. Uh, it's funny that I was, I was greeted by the general manager and I have a feeling he's, he's making a point to do that with all the elite members just to make sure that he can do whatever he can to not have the ratings of this of this place stabilize some of those because I was looking at some of the the reviews and people were just were just really tearing you know a new hole for for this for this hotel. I didn't experience anything particular that I would I, maybe one thing which I'll talk about in a minute, but that would would deserve kind of anything negative. I mean, the room was beautiful, upgraded me to a spectacular room, not a suite, but you know it was still decently big with a really big bathroom and very nice amenities and and a, a really well-stocked mini bar with all kinds of little W branded things that you could buy. The, they also offered breakfast, you know, which sometimes, you know, Marriott hotels play games, you know, with the platinum breakfast benefit. This one, they did not. They, they, they proactively asked if I'd like that. And that is what I desired. And I think it would have been 55 Australian dollars otherwise for the, the breakfast buffet and was extremely nice. I thought it was great. I was not charged for my Diet Coke. Sometimes they'll charge me for a Diet Coke when these breakfast buffets, they did not had a very, very lovely spread of different foods in a very stylish um, restaurant on, I think, uh, their third floor or whatever that kind of looks over <laughs> oh, it looks over the freeway. So <laughs> I, there's Darling Harbor in the background. But, you know, it's it's kind of funny. We were ha- when we were having dinner with our, our Sydney locals, they were saying, oh, yeah, we know that hotel. Yeah, sometimes I drive down that freeway and when the traffic's all packed up, I'm looking at people eating breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, uh, W's don't have lounges, right? No, no lounge to speak of. No, no. I think they might have had some welcome beverages in the evening, but again, I didn't really investigate that too too closely. It's interesting that you know you mentioned that that feedback on the W. I remember very similar feedback when the Hyatt Regency opened up, just like a couple of blocks away. I mean, essentially, folks are like, "Yeah, it's it's a four points trying to try, trying to masquerade yeah. as a as a Hyatt Regency." So, I mean, maybe in that in in, in I don't know if it's maybe uh you know the other hotels in that city. 
are, are just so, so amazing or, or the expectations are just so much higher or maybe the pricing. I mean, the pricing on, on, I was looking at the W. I, I think it, the pricing is part of it. it. It's it was not inexpensive. No, it was, I think it was, this is Australian dollars, but I think it was like 700 plus dollars Australian. If I were to do, uh, fortunately I had an expiring certificate that I needed to need to find a good home and that's what I used it for. But yeah, I think if I were paying the, I think that was still what, like four or $500 US. If I were paying that for that hotel, I expect things to work really well. And it's it's the largest W, I think, maybe in the world, I think. So and that's, that's even part more of interesting, right? The Hyatt Regency Sydney is the, it was the biggest hotel in the country. I don't know whether yeah. the, the W now is even bigger or not. I don't think it's bigger than the, the, the Hyatt Regency, but it's big for a W. And and of course, the the, the customer service standards of what people are expecting and spending the the room rates that they are are pretty high and and they were still bringing I think a lot of their staff probably still needed a lot of training and a lot of onboarding and it's hard to do that and to to their credit they were there were people everywhere they were asking me how oh, had I been helped you know they were trying to do their best uh and so I, I have to give them in general pretty good job overall uh, you know as far as People knew my name, which is amazing. I don't know how they do that, but they they knew who I was. Of course, I'm a Mr. Kim, so you know, maybe they were just guessing. Maybe they were <laughs> easy guess. That, 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 that's an easy guess. Huh? <laughs> uh, but I could also see them have running, you know, just r- reports of you know here, here are the elite members that are that are joining us today. That's probably pretty typical of a high end hotel like that. So yeah, I, was, I ended up having some interactions with the staff. They were all very pleasant, very talkative, very welcoming. So can't say enough overall good things. The only negative thing was they did charge me for the award stay. So I, I got a, a bill and I was like, what? That's odd. Why do I have an accommodations fee on here? I did I did take a drink from the mini bar because you know, it's funny. They have custom cocktails in bottles. It happened to be from this uh, Almost Sammy, I think was the name of the bar. Always be Sammy. I, I forget what the name of the bar is, but the actually the bar that we had di- uh, drinks at the night before in Sydney. So I was like, oh, hey, this is the bar that we went to. And uh, they had them in the on the mini bar, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to steal one of these. They'll just have to figure out. I'll have to figure out how much I owe them. I don't think they charged me for that, but they did charge me for accommodation, even though that probably should have been going to Marriott corporate, not to my Marriott credit card. How much uh, is it? Just like the the Sydney tourism tax or something? No, it ended up being about a, a two hundred uh, Australian dollars, like one hundred and forty two dollars or something like that, in US. I think it wasn't taxes. It was it was it was accommodation fee. So I don't know if that's what um, Marriott um, would reimburse them or something, but but you didn't end up paying that since you used your cert, right? Did yeah, you yeah, like- no, I, I I emailed them later and I was like, hey, can I get a line item invoice of what this is? Because uh, this was an awards day, and uh, they said, oh, sorry, sir, uh, we're going to refund that. Oops, <laughs> oops. So that was the only one glitch I so with this day, but otherwise, yeah, very nice day. And you expect glitches with a new hotel. I mean, yes. I- at least yes. I do. That's just par for the course. And sometimes there's opportunities with those sorts of things that mini bar might have been comped intentionally instead of just an oversight. Those little things, because they want you to come back. And so even if you don't have a stellar experience, they're going to try to find ways to at least make up for it. Yeah, I, I think they realize that they need to to shore up their their reviews. I probably should actually do a review and, and, and give them the good marks because I think overall they created a, a reasonably good stay. And and even value, uh, at least for the points, you know, it was uh, ended up being, I think, sixty six thousand Marriott Bonvoy points. Uh, that for just the feels that just feels like a lot for it's you, a lot. You know, yeah. I think Sydney's a tough market. I think Sydney's not, definitely not a market where 
the high-end hotels are are discounted. I think they're actually probably overpriced. The Park Hyatt Sydney is usually way expensive for what it is. Don't get me wrong; it's beautiful. It's a beautiful experience, but I really am, I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't stay at the Park Hyatt Sydney for once. <laughs> Forty-five thousand points now. I know it's ridiculous. I'm glad we got our stays in when it wasn't that high. I mean, it's almost at Marriott numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And, the, and, the, and those points are worth quite a bit more usually. Exactly. So how do you get home? Interestingly enough, through Melbourne. I've never been through through Melbourne. And, 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 and their airport's very interesting. It's very interesting. And they're another city that gets a lot of, uh, of pretty high-class airplane travel, right? And they've got the A380 Emirates. Uh, they've got Qatar Airways. I think it was like a 777 there. They've, they've got like when, we were, when I was leaving. But the international terminal was very quiet. I was there. I was there for an extended time. So I actually got to visit pretty much every lounge in that facility, except for maybe the the New Zealand lounge and uh, Air New Zealand lounge. And there might have been a Sky Team lounge there, but I forget what it was. But pretty much visited everything else. I went to the Plaza Premium lounge, which is very interesting because it's connected to the to the Amex lounge via the the restrooms. So you can you come out of the restrooms and it says you know you see wait what this oh this is the Amex lounge. <laughs> In the Plaza Premium Lounge, they kind of share the same catering. They're very quiet there. That was like maybe one of only two or three people between the two lounges, the Plaza Premium and the the Amex Lounge. This was of, of course in the afternoon where there weren't any real flights leaving, so I guess that makes sense. But also got to visit Qantas Business Lounge, also another one of these dungeony you know basement lounges with no view. They have something called the House Lounge, which is the pri- Priority Pass Lounge, which is actually the Etihad Lounge, which is now available via Priority Pass. That was pretty. I forget if Etihad doesn't fly there right now. Maybe that's why it's a contract lounge right now. But yeah, the, the food and beverage were pretty poor in there. But the views were nice and the furniture was nice. Yeah, their lounge style is, is pretty interesting. I've, I've flown out of their Sydney lounge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's very classy. Yep. So, so how did you fly out? I flew out on, on Qantas Business on their 787, another really good business class product. Actually, I, I would say I had the best business class sleep that I've had, I think, on on a plane, believe it or not, because they had mattress pads, the bedding was nice, again, air vents, it was doing all the right things. So uh, the seats, it was the new seat that they have on the 787s, very nice, staggered seats. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was a great experience. Service was good. Again, nothing memorable about the dining, but, you know, again, not too interested. Again, I did actually get to go also visit the Qantas First Lounge in Melbourne and, uh, that's also an interesting lounge just because it's it's kind of like the the, the mini-me of, of the Sydney one. It looks pretty much the same, although I would even say it has slightly better views of the of the runway and stuff than the Sydney one. Well, and that's probably a factor of, of just the way the airport is laid out, right? I mean, yeah, Sydney, Sydney, those airport. runways are kind of piers, whereas I think Melbourne, the uh, I thought the terminal was a little bit more centrally located. It is. I think it's more condensed than, than yeah. Sydney. So I've never actually flown out of the international side of that of of, oh, of okay. Melbourne, believe it or not. So so like I, I mean I can't even picture the experience that you had other other than clearly the uh, the the Plaza Premium and the the American Express uh, uh, proximity to restrooms and stuff. I mean you you paint the picture well, but you know having not been through there, I, I have to ask: is it is it a similar vibe as as Sydney? Where where I I mean I kind of think Sydney kind of feels like uh, what is it Terminal Two. Is it T two or T three in London, where Virgin and American goes out of? Where like well, you know, T three just feels big. Yeah, 
Tea, shopping tea area. actually is pretty a pretty good a uh, pretty pretty good analog to actually Melbourne, except without the people. Because at least when Melbourne, even though it was all condensed and, and tiny in a way, there weren't that many people or flights, so it was it wasn't it wasn't as overrun as I think T three is at Heathrow, where they squeeze a lot of people into the public areas because. The other odd thing about T3, right, at Heathrow is, you know, they have all those gates that there's nothing there, right? There's no restaurants or seating or lounges or anything. All the lounges are kind of in the central area. And then you've got fingers of these kind of like appendages of of gates, right, where there's no other things. There may be a bathroom. That's it. Yeah. And that's the thing that throws me off on some of these, some of these airports. I mean, I get the the value of having everything centralized, but to the same point, there's just also so much value and kind of being closer to your gate. Yeah, I would say Sydney's a lot more sprawling. I would say it feels more like uh, I don't know what it feels like. It's probably closer to what LT bit feels like, you know, than than how how if, from what I recall, compared to. Of course, I only got to see it this time on the end of the flight instead of at the beginning, just in terms of like space and and, and layout and things like that, because you weren't quite on top of each other. I think in Sydney as as compared to Melbourne where really literally things were on top of each other, right? Because you had lounges in the basement floor, you had restaurants and retail in, in the middle, and then you had another set of lounges on the top floor. Wow. Wow. That's just very condensed. Okay. So you uh, you flew Melbourne to LA? Yes. Again, 787, very nice flight. Can't say enough good things. Very excellent business class flight. 55,000 mile redemption on Alaska. Definitely recommend it before the... Uh, the award chart changes. Actually was able to tack on another transcon in first class for another trip at the end of that uh, award, which I also recommend you do. It's a little bit more of a level two award redemption uh, thing for Alaska Airlines, mainly just because it's really hard to find an Alaska award that exactly times correctly with an award that you might happen to get from Qantas. Both of those are hard to match up. So just realize it don't have to necessarily be right after each other. You know, you you do you can inject a, a stopover on a one-way Alaska award. And one way to do that is if you happen to have a flight booked from, let's say, Australia to LA and could use another LA Transcon later on in the year, go ahead and book it when you can find it and, and stitch that together as part of one award and realize you don't have to fly it all together. So walk us through that for a second here. So in order to do that, you're going through the multi-city tool. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you can book it that way, yeah. Not to get too much in the weeds here, just because we want to try to try to wrap up in a moment here. But are you searching just for that one-way Transcon? And then once you find that Transcon and you found your Trans-Pacific, then you go into a multi-city tool and do a search that way? I can tell you, you how I did it. How I did it was I did end up calling in. I ended up booking my overwater segment online because I don't want that, you know, obviously those are very time sensitive. You need yeah, to you don't want to lose that. Don't want to lose that. Talking about losing flood. I would just book that first and then call in and make the change. Once you've paid the fees for that Alaska flight, and Alaska does charge you a partner booking fee, you can call in even as a non-elite and make as many changes as you want. So that's a good thing to know. And they're usually pretty good. You know, usually you get a US agent and I would say two out of the three times I've called in, they knew exactly what to do and they took care of it right away. And that's just awesome when you can get through. It used to be that Alaska, you'd get right, right through every time you get right to a person. And then they went through this period of time where it was Late, just- Lately, they've been good. I've been calling them. You know, again, I, I've had to make changes to these flights multiple times because, you know, things, things came up where I, I suddenly found, oh, now there's a business. I was originally booked premium economy, got, by the way, guys. 
And then uh, a business flight came up from Brisbane. I was like, okay, I'll fly through Brisbane. No problem. So I call in and make that change. Oh, and then, then there was a business class flight from Melbourne. I was like, well, I think I'd rather go to Melbourne because they have a first class lounge. Let's do that. I always worried for you when you said you were going to do premium economy across the pond. Well, well, that, that's not a pond. That's the, I mean, the, the, the Pacific is not the pond. It was good <laughs> enough for Joe Chung. So, you know, I guess as one podcast sidekick, you know, it, 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 they set the standard. So it, it, I thought it'd be fine. But, you know, hey, business class came up and it, it's not that much more than, than premium economy, at least on the current chart for Alaska Airway, Alaska Awards. So I was like, hey, it's a no-brainer. If it's available, let's book it. So I called in. And most of the times I've been calling in on, on Alaska and I'm not an elite I am now actually because my Delta match finally came through, but at the time I was not, and I was still getting through to the, the regular call center pretty quick. Not extensive waits on hold. You can't beat that. So not to put you on the spot because I, I don't think you've got a, a spreadsheet of all your cha- all, all the changes you had to make. How many different changes did you have to? Do you think you had to make for this trip? I mean, obviously oh you pivoted from going through through oh Vietnam. Then you, you know, then you upgraded yourself as you continued to, as we call it, garden your reservations, which is just so important. I mean, you never know when space is going to become available and, and you can get just a little bit more of an ideal scenario. I'll tell you this much. The transoceanic portion of, of both ways changed at least three times. So we've had at least six iterations of this, of this itinerary because I've, I've been booked on three different versions on the way there and three different versions on the way back. I can tell you that much. <laughs> all Crazy. for all, all for one one notable port of cruise uh, port of call on the cruise yes and the cruise know, island it was a notable one you know the funny thing is you know the friends i went one of the friends i went with we've been joking about new caledonia and for, for for years and i don't know what the fascination was to start with i think originally it was because decade i mean literally a decade plus ago i think i had some just some fasc- fascination with this this island because first of all i'd never whoever heard of new caledonia i mean it's not exactly the most common South Pacific area that you're, that you're, that you're going to hear about. I feel like a planet in Stargate SG-1 had a city <laughs> named New Caledonia yes. and it was like a, a recurring, <laughs> a recurring, uh, um, a visiting, uh, yes. or, or a recurring place. <laughs> That's what I first thought of. <laughs> well, it got on my map because it was actually, it was a sweet spot in the flying blue award chart for the longest time because you could oh, fly. Oh, Numea, yeah. Yes, from from uh, Tokyo to Numea on Air Colin, who is a Flying Blue partner, or not even partner, they actually use Flying Blue as their loyalty program. On that award chart, there was some really, really good use of, of miles for that relatively long flight between Tokyo and, and Numea. So that's kind of why it had a fascination. So, so when my friends, my friends, by the way, who booked this long ago before I did, kind of teasing me. They're like, you always wanted to go to Caledonia and guess what? We're going to go without you. And that was kind of the, you know, the gauntlet was thrown down at that point. I was like, okay, I'm finding a way there. And it took six iterations, right? But it, it actually got to the point where this is actually one of the most perfect, I think, air itineraries that I ended up getting. I mean, it was all premium. It was all in, in excellent classes in, on planes I wanted to fly without ton of uh, repositioning, you know, a, a day before and a day after the cruise. I mean, can you, can you get any better than all that? No, it, it sounds about as good as you're going to get. Really is. It really was. So I'm really happy about it. I'm excited. I think I, I exercised all of my award travel uh, muscles to make it happen. And I think uh, it ended up being a great trip. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I was really, uh, I'm really glad that, that I did it. I'm glad we were able to talk about it. I'm happy to share my trip and Hope other people are able to replicate it because it, it was a good one. And I would say for those out there, book your 55,000 mile 
Alaska awards uh, to Australia and business uh, as soon as you can. You definitely have me with FOMO of Australia, but that's 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 a conversation for another time. I think well, so. Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Milonomics Patreon member and get access to even more in-depth miles, points, and travel content. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. Mm-hmm.